So I just got off the phone with my parents and my dad said Hubert Davis really should, should have announced his wife as Karen and moved on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Twitter was lighting that boy I up. <laughs> I don't know how you all were that day, but I was like, oh no. I was like, oh no. Like in, in real time, I was like, that's going to come back later. <laughs> I feel it. And it came back way harder than I thought it was going to because they yeah, were I mean, up on Twitter. I, that was exact. My exact. My exact thoughts were, "Oh no," because <laughs> that is um. That was almost like ceiling is the roof for me. I don't actually remember hearing it when it happened, and then it went back and heard it, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I feel like that's gonna." Yeah, take- like I was. I so I listened to his interview with like Jones and um, Adam Lucas before. And he said it then I was like, Oh, that's a, a weird way to say that. I'm, he'll surely clean that up before, um, before the, the big press conference. Um, he did change it. Uh, that time he said he was very proud of having a white. <laughs> had to take yeah. a, a really good moment or an otherwise fantastic press conference. Oh yeah. <laughs> and of course you got to we have to, people have to nitpick and find something. So, but no, like I said, people mentioned the idea of like winning a press conference. Hubert Davis smashed the press conference. Oh yeah. From a, from a like fan perspective, like, you know, they're going to clown him on Twitter, but it is what it is. And I think from a, you know, professional standpoint, from, you know, a first press conference standpoint, that was, I mean, you can really ask for anything better. Absolutely. I think that it was, I don't know, let's save the end, the very, very end of that press conference for the end of the show, because I feel like we might have some news um, by then or maybe a little bit later. But I think that he really kind of calmed down the masses um, that were a little bit uneasy after the hire because people wanted something a little bit more splashy. But like we said last week, I think that this was the right move for right now. Yeah, I agree. And I think that everything that he's done since he got hired has sold me even more than I guess I needed to be sold on him. And so, I mean, there, there's ultimately a lot of great things there. And I think I ultimately do also agree that if this was the right hire, um, because again, you had the the one of knowns. Did you want a more higher profile coach that didn't have the necessarily the connection to the program or understood the the Carolina family, what that meant, the value of it, and the importance of it, or would you take a coach that might be a little bit more unknown in terms of what they have done or what experience they may have, but does understand the program? I think that ultimately would be the better case because a coach can always develop and get better, uh, but you could bring in the best coach in the world, but if they don't truly value the Carolina family, then it's really, there's going, it's not going to feel the same. It's not going to feel right. And I, I don't think it would be as sustainable as with a Carolina guy. Yeah. I, I don't think you can, I don't think anybody can question how much Hubert Davis loves Carolina Chapel Hill. And that's a big thing. I mean, like you have a coach that's going to appreciate it for all that it is and not just a job, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I kind of asked myself, like, do I believe that Hubert Davis can be great? I don't think 
I think it's unfair to him to say that he's going to be Dean Smith or he's going to be Roy Williams, but can he be successful at Carolina? And I think the answer is yes. I really do. I truly believe that, you know, will it work out? I don't actually know, but you know, he's been on that bench since 2012. And, you know, I, I think, I don't think there's anybody that, I genuinely don't think there was anybody that would have been better. You could have gotten that high yeah. profile splashy name, but I, I don't think I personally, and I, I know I'm sure the, the inside Carolina message boards would probably disagree with me, but I, I was satisfied with that. And so I think, again, it gives just the, that sense of continuity, continuity too between the eras because it is someone that played for Dean Smith, but also coached under Roy Williams. And so mm-hmm. by, by all stretches, it sounds like he's basically going to make the meshed kind of system. It's going to take the positive aspects of both eras um, to kind of make it into one, hopefully a, a fine-tuned machine. I think one of the cool things that I also liked hearing is that when he's trying to fill out his coaching staff, we could we might could get into that really quick, um, is that he wants to fill his bench with guys that span across the eras of Carolina basketball. Those that paid play for Dean, those that played for Bill Guthridge and Matt Doherty, and then those that played for Roy, too. So you're getting all of those different experiences that can be that can contribute to the team. I also think that can bridge the generational gaps, too, uh, between the eras. You have probably someone like Sean May, who's now going to be most likely joining the assistance uh, bench. That can be the maybe the younger kind of coach that can connect more to the new players coming in and such. Uh, but then you can have older coaches uh, from the earlier areas that might have some head coaching experience too, that can help maybe mitigate and fill in some of the cracks that Hubert brings, uh, but also might can be an enforcer or such too in that regard. Yeah. I think a big thing that he said in this press conference is that he wasn't trying to be great or elite. He's going to be Hubert. And I think that's the best way to kind of approach this as a fan is he's not going to be Dean. He's not going to be Roy. He's going to be him. And although a lot of it's going to look the same, I imagine next year we're going to be running a lot of the same stuff. Uh, But I think that we are going to see his impact on this team and just to be open to whatever that looks like. But also not be frustrated when Carolina basketball does Carolina basketball things. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I I genuinely, the only thing that I'm scared of is that people aren't going to have patience with Hubert, which is going to be frustrating. I know I already know that I'm going to get worked up about it because like you can be frustrated. Thank you. You can be frustrated, um, you know, with, with Roy Williams sometimes, but you're like, it's still Roy Williams. But like now it's like Hubert Davis, first year coach. And it's like, how much can you judge off of that first year of Hubert Davis? And it's like, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm just, I'm, I'm afraid that people are going to lose patience with him quickly and not Basically, give him, give him a short leash. Grow. Right, he's going to be on a short leash. And I don't understand what that logic comes from. You know, I don't think from a job perspective, from a job security perspective, he's going to be on a short leash. I just can see, I can already see, like, fans being like, well, why aren't you Roy Williams right away? Like, uh, please, like, <laughs> I don't know. That's my, that's, I don't know. That's, just my, that's how my brain is thinking about it. Yeah, well, and I think, like, something that people need to realize, like I think that we probably will realize it is that a lot of great coaches weren't immediately great. Like Dean Smith in his first season at Carolina went eight and nine coach K in his first season at army went 11 and 14 in his first season at Duke, he went 17 and 13. Um, 
Roy Williams in his first season at Kansas went 19 and 12 and went 19 and 11 in his first season at Carolina. So like things don't happen overnight. I will say too, he did really put his foot down. Um, I would say, I mean, there's always been this talk about the outside hire, the Carolina family hire, and he made it very clear. I think how he feels no matter how long he's in the position or when he steps away, hopefully 20 years from now, when he says, I, I don't think you can do this job if you're not a Carolina guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it was, it's a strong statement for It's one thing for fan bases and, and um, other kind of pundits to actually say that, but to someone that is now the head coach of North Carolina actually say that um, it's definitely a strong statement indeed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what I've been saying all along. So it's just confirming what I believe. <laughs> Closing thoughts from the press conference. Um, perhaps other than uh, Hubert being proud of his family, um, I think probably the most biggest comment, and it's the one that we're probably going to be talking about now, is something that he said towards the end of his conference, his press conference when media was able to ask him questions. And um, if I caught this correctly, it said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the reporter said, I was asked to ask this question. Yeah. And he asks, what about what's going to happen with Walker Kessler? And he made it, Hubert Davis made it abundantly clear that he wants to have Hubert Davis here. Or Walker. Walker Kessler here. Yes, thank you. So, I mean, yeah, he said Walker Kessler is a Tar Heel. He is a Carolina guy and he's family. And he wants him and his family back in Chapel Hill. So, again, another very strong statement and it's one I did not expect really to come up. I, I maybe expect someone to ask about it, but I did not expect Hubert to address it so strongly and also um, for it to be such, a, I would say, somewhat of a positive thing saying like, yes, we definitely want him back and I'm going to do everything I can basically to get him back. And so it sounds his like that. Press conference. Yeah, you don't his, mention that in your own. press conference if you, if you don't want – if you don't really want to talk about it, if, you, if there's no chance. For it. I was going to say, it sounds like he's either confident or wants to put the ball in Walker Kessler's court. Or the, the Kessler family's court. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I really hope that all the people that were calling Walker Kessler everything but his name, uh, <laughs> they do some... They do some recanting with if, 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 if I don't know anything, let me make that abundantly clear. I don't know anything right now at, on Sunday at two 30 about what might happen. Um, but if he doesn't come back and that cited as a reason, I hope that makes people think for a, a bit about what they say about these 18 year olds and 19 year olds deciding where they want to shoot a round ball into a basket. I think the only other place that kind of offers him something is um, Gonzaga. But, I mean, he would also be competing there for minutes with Chet Holgrim, which I, I know he hasn't committed there to Gonzaga, I don't think yet. But, I, but I, a lot of the crystal ball predictions are pointing there. Now, you know, very well, you could say that, you know, Walker going there might affect Chet Holgrim's, you know, decision and where he wants to go but i think ultimately at the end of the day you know we want walker here i think you were telling i don't know who said it 
it was one of y'all, but saying that the tallest people on the team are Leaky and now our new addition from Virginia. Um, so we're in some desperate need of, of some height and a, and a center in, on a team that traditionally uses big men a lot. <laughs> now, having said that, I mean, I don't think this is too far to reveal information because I, I feel like it's starting to slow you out. So it really is down to us, Gonzaga, and Auburn as well. Um, it also sounds like us and Auburn are probably the two more likely. Yeah, because Walker hasn't even been on Gonzaga's campus. Um, if ah, they okay. did do anything, it's probably nothing more than a Zoom call. So I don't see him going 3,000 miles to probably potentially sit on the bench again um, because I think a lot of people might say is that Chet is the versatile or at least has the has shown what people wanted Walker to be. Um, and then having two of those guys on the same court just does not work well, I don't think. Unless one of them wants to play under the basket. Yeah. And I don't think Walker is aversive to playing under the basket, but he also wants to show his shooting game as well. Um, so I, I don't think Gonzaga, personally, I, I think it's kind of died off. I think it really is down to UNC and Auburn and Auburn being the kind of place. That, I mean, his friend just tripped. He had a, his friend Justin Powell played for Auburn, but actually just transferred to Tennessee. Uh, but I believe Auburn is definitely closer to his home in Georgia than, than UNC would be. Um, and I mean, Bruce Pearl has been has had good teams in the last couple of years as well. So it just really comes down to I think a fit. Uh, what Hubert was able to get across to Walker, uh, what he was able to pitch to him, or at least give a vision for him. Right now, the ball is quite literally in his court to make the decision. I mean, I would I would be surprised if we didn't have something. By the time this pod comes out and is released for people to listen, that we don't have an answer of where he is going. Yeah, if that decision comes sometime today as we're recording, um, which is Sunday, then we're going to do an emergency pod, hop back on, talk about it real quick, and tag it on to the end of this episode. But... If it comes out on Monday, I'm just going to eat the bullet. So so while we're waiting on that, Hubert is batting a 1,000 on recruits. One for one. <laughs> one up, one down. Now, I'm still, I'm still kind of confused on what happened with the Marshall family and whatever Kendall's dad was doing. Like, is that something we should talk about at all? Because I was confused the whole time. Yeah. I was like, I, I think it's a little vague. Um I think one thing you mentioned is that I think several reports, even outside of Inside Carolina, have said that it's unlikely that Kendall Marshall is being retained in, as a, in his position as director of recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is going to be somewhat of some big changes even on the bench um, and such. So those are probably coming in the next few days or at least being officially announced. And so there might be stuff involved with that. I wouldn't put too much stock into it, to be quite honest. Um, but I think just it sounds like everybody's got an insider information about what's happening. Um, as a subscriber like of Inside Carolina, you can also go to the other team's 247 boards. Um, Gonzaga has people thinking they're just as confident that they're going to get them as we are. There's people on UVA's board that think they're going to get them, and he hasn't even talked to them, I don't think. Um, so it, everybody's got their opinions, and I think it was more of an opinion rather than an actual fact. Um, that's not mean he, he won't come back um, or that he doesn't. 
at least have a good idea, but there, there just seems to be something too with, I think, with Kendall potentially not coming back onto the staff as well. I guess my biggest question is like, what does Hubert Davis offer Walker? Like that is different from Roy Williams because obviously Hubert Davis is under the, under the Roy Williams school of basketball, but it, and I know that Roy has this reputation of being rigid and the, whether it's fair or not, you know, he has this label of committing to a quote unquote archaic style of basketball. Uh, Like does Hubert Davis shift from that? Does he try and, you know, go more to where the NBA is going today, where you try like kind of what Baylor is doing this year. Not everybody can be Baylor, but like, you know, where you get a lot of guys that can be multifaceted and everyone can shoot, you know, you can guard three, four positions per, you know. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I think will stay. I think the zone offense is going to stay the same because it works really well and is actually pretty versatile. There's a lot of stuff we can do out of it. I think that the um, the main secondary break is going to stay. Um, because that's a Dean Smith thing, I feel like. Yeah. He's going to probably carry more Dean Smith things maybe than Roy stuff. But I think, if anything, the secondary break is probably going to be the big component that stays. I mm-hmm. think that the horn set is probably going to say, especially as um, as the NBA is using more and more of that that style of basketball. Um, it also gives lots of options for a big to pop out the top of the key, um, but still have that versatility to get that high low action if you want it. I think that'll stay. Um, it's something that Carolina started. I don't know if they started running it this year, but I definitely noticed this year. Um, was a little five out basketball and continuity ball screens. Um, I think that that stuff probably will have a bigger role this year than it did last year. It would be great to run that five out stuff with Dayron at the top of the key, um, but I don't think that'll happen. But I, I still think that's something that we're going to see a good bit of next year. If it creates more spacing, I think Hubert's going to try it. Yeah, I mean the five out stuff was working last year. It was feel, feels like it was working for everybody, but it was working. I mean the other thing, I feel like you have to at least guarantee him a walk, or, or at least give him every inkling that Walker is going to start. Um, I mean, you know, who, officially, I mean, we officially don't have lot. Garrison Brooks returning, um, so they're. I mean, Justin McCoy and Dontrez can be small fours, I would say. Um, but I think it would be clearly Walker's spot. And so at that point, and especially if he is selling him on the fact that he wants to expand on his offense, what offensive skill set, then I don't think there's either of the other two teams have the space or the minutes to be able to say, because at that point, if, if it happens and he comes and stays and doesn't do well, it can't be for a lack of opportunity. All right, Mav, I think it's time. Go for it. Yeah. So we got Justin McCoy. Uh, transfer out of UVA committed um, almost apparently immediately um, upon his Zoom call with Hubert Davis. But I think that was something to be expected. He was a recruit back in 2019. And I actually remember when we offered him, he's out of carry, so he has a lot of connections. He's at least a, a in-state kind of a person. Um, and then ultimately chose UVA. He hasn't, has just not gotten exactly the minutes of UVA just because he's been behind like Sam Hauser and Jay Huff. So it's really hard to get in when you have players like that and you're playing behind them. Um, and then the, the year before, I think he was on the championship team. So he was also playing behind like Diakite and everything too, two years ago. 
Um, so it just hasn't really got in. So doesn't have stellar stats by any stretch. So it's like three and a half points a game, three assists a game. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I liked, I mean, 6'8", 215, he has apparently he had an 18% offensive rebounding. That's what I was going to bring up. In conference. That's, yeah, that's in conference. So Which would have been the best in the country had it been sustained um, over the course of the season. So that's something positive. Higher um, than Dayron, that's number one. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's screams to me that uh, that's probably why Hubert went after him because so it means offensive rebounding is still going to be a focus, I think. Absolutely. Carolina. Also, this, I just want to throw in this real quick yeah. before I give it back to you, Matt, his defensive uh, rebounding percentage. Um, I think he just didn't play enough games to qualify for these stats, um, but he would have been 33rd, two spots behind Brandon Huffman. That's fun. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it's a UVA person. So UVA is not going to take someone that's not fundamentally sound. So uh, he doesn't seem to be the most athletic person or anything like that, but doesn't seem to be someone that turns the ball over in the limited minutes he plays. He has a really high ba- basketball IQ. It seems like hearing from UVA guys and even just like just general evaluation is that his mid-range jump shot is really good. He's only taken nine threes in his two-season career or his two-year career in college. That that could probably rise, and he says that's something that he's working on. So, again, he could probably play the three. I think probably could play a four in a small ball lineup, uh, similar to kind of Dontrez Styles too. So you have two more players like that can be a a big three or a small four. How about a tiny five? No. He did play a lot of tiny five. He played a lot of little ball five at UVA, especially down the stretch. So I don't think Carolina would have him doing that, but if he needs to, he's done it. So. Yeah. And also, okay, I don't, I don't think he's expecting to start too. So, and now with this one time transfer, it's a lot more difficult to transfer away. So I feel like he's making more of a commitment. So it's he gets he has three years. So it if anything, it brings some continuity to the front court for the next couple of years. Just because I'm like slightly curious, Mav, I know you brought up on the last podcast about um, it, was it a two year transfer deal? Was it what was your? So I was suggesting that um, the players don't become eligible for the waiver until they finish their sophomore season, just because mm-hmm. I think the idea of I think it can be seen more negatively, whether it is or not, or whether it should be considered negative or not. I think it just would be seen optically more negative for a true freshman to tra- to use that rule first time in because of either they're not getting minutes, they're not getting play um, or, or, or something, just because I think everyone wants to not only play, not only start, but star. I think uh, Seth Greenberg said that on ESPN, um, where he's like, players no, don't no longer want to just – develop and, and work their way up. They want the instant gratification of being a star just so they can be NBA ready, just so they can make the NBA money. Um, yeah. I think it goes along with that. So the other day I was watching after um, Roy retired, they had that ACC network, like uh, all of the great games in Carolina history mm-hmm. since he was a coach. And they showed the 06 Carolina Duke game at Cameron. And the thing that struck me the most is how big the players were. Like, they were huge out there. 
and also how skilled they were. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's just like a gulf of difference between what college basketball looked like in 2006 and what college basketball looks like now. Like JJ Redick would not have been a senior playing at Duke in 2006 or if, if it was today no way no way and I feel like I think that players having more options to do what they need to do is good but the product is absolutely suffering because yeah we're losing a lot of good players because they think that they're going to be a star somewhere and they just aren't yeah. there's not enough spots yeah and I think a lot of people are pointing to the fact that the AAU system is teaching a whole different skill set for basketball that it's yeah. not it's not making them complete players like it used to that you were sound in everything it's you either shoot threes you make layups it's it's they want you to be able to play for Daryl Morey if you get drafted to the NBA well mm-hmm. and I feel like the game now in college is a lot more above the rim than it was 10 15 years ago which I think is another major change I think you don't see a lot of Sorry, David. Go ahead. No, I was gonna, I was gonna add on to that point and say that like you don't see a lot of like other teams like center around like back to the basket bigs. Like you don't see like a you don't see a lot of possessions from a lot of the teams that are around start and end with a big working down low in the post. You know what I'm saying? I I think all of that is true, and there's also that the the elite of the not even the elite of the elite like if you are a good basketball player if you have like more than three stars you're not staying at your local high school zion was an anomaly staying at his like his local high school for four years because what a lot of these kids do because it's proven to be the best thing to do for them to get to where they want to go is bounce from high school to high school to high school to high school so then they get to college and stuff's not working out for them. They see a spot somewhere else. They're going to go like they, yeah. they think they can go. So they think they can go somewhere else because why couldn't they? They've done that for the past four years of their life. They've been treating basketball. And this is also a thing in football. They've been treating that as a job since they turned 14, 15 years old. So now we're in college and we're having this one-time transfer rules, all these players are doing exactly what they've been doing for the past four years. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the grass is truly greener on the other side. And I think, I think it's hard to say that after a first year, unless there's just an extreme circumstance where there's just irreconcilable differences between you and the coaching staff, or if there's something very serious going on behind the scenes that you just, you have to be able to get away. That's something that I can at least understand. But I would say 90% of the time, it's just someone seems frustrated. And I, again, I harken back to the fact that if, if this was, if that was in place 10 years ago, who knows how many players, not only on Carolina, but just in the country, would have transferred programs and not stuck it out. And who knows what that success wouldn't have brought. And so my, my reason, my thinking is, is that you wait till sophomore year, because if that's still happening through sophomore year and you're just still just frustrated, because you're not losing eligibility and you would still have two years left, then you can probably make a more decision like, yeah, this actually isn't something that's working out for me. And then you can go elsewhere. Or if you think you're so good and you think you're NBA ready, you don't have to transfer, just go to the draft. And I think what you're saying is you can still apply for a waiver. And if you get the waiver, you get the waiver. Uh, But I think that the automatic exemption from the from the one year sit out is a thing that 
I honestly believe that it's not good for a lot of players. Um, a lot of players right now. So I just I can only imagine how this is going to change the coaching landscape because now you're going to have to manage 12 players and their emotions and their feelings about where they are, where they are in their development, uh, their, their goals and such. Um, I, don't, I don't think you can anymore, I guess, be upfront about their, what you think their potential is or, or giving them the opportunities because they could just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and say, Oh, I'm transferring now. Uh, that gets real dicey though <clears throat> when you start making promises. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like if it's because there's going to be someone that's take... not playing, you can't yeah, play like... 12 players consistently throughout mm-hmm. a season. So there's going to be someone that's not getting the minutes that they probably want. So are they just going to transfer? Well, look at Duke. I mean, like we always hammer Duke for this kind of thing where you get a five star player that rides the pine the whole season. Like who was it? Joey Baker. That was like yeah. the most recent one. I feel like you the know. biggest example that I remember is um, Chase Jeter, who was a five-star recruit and did, I don't think he ever played legitimate minutes at Duke. Nice, to a point. Well, yeah, but Chase Jeter was like four yeah. years, wasn't he? If I remember correctly. I think so, yeah. He came in uh, Giles' class. Yeah, so he's my age then. So it's just, I don't know. I feel like if you can't be upfront with a kid about their development and where they stand, then you probably shouldn't be coaching. Like, you know, there's a again, way. And, I, and again, I don't think, I, I think it's going to be a problem even for the best coaches because even someone with that kind of stature, if they tell that player that, then like I said, they just be like, well, I'll just go somewhere else then. So, and I mean, a, granted, I think there's going to be a point where you, you kind of hit a blockage because it is just a one time transfer rule. So now that people who want, you don't, you're not, people can't just keep transferring again and again. So at least it's just a one-time thing. Um, so I think by default, you're going to get to a point where you just don't, won't have as many the next year or so. Um, but I just think the turnover and it's just going to become a whole new juggling act, I think, for coaching staffs. There's, it's also going back to one of the reasons that I think Roy retired is a lot of it is, a even if this is a neutral statement, totally neutral statement, no value judgment here. The coaches have a lot less control now, a whole bunch of less control. And if there's one thing that I've learned from just watching college athletics in my 24 years of life, coaches like control. They would, if they could control when the sun went up and sun went down every single day, they would. <laughs> um, and, and I, I see that in football. I, well. <clears throat> I see that in football a lot. In my opinion, I see it in football more than baseball. Uh, not baseball. Football more than, than basketball, but it's definitely there, like, in, in basketball a lot, too. And Yeah. Well, I think that's also partially because of how football is as a game. Like, basketball is, like, a – like, basketball, you can be carried by one good player, whereas football, like, it's the sum of the parts, and so the coach inherently has more control in that situation because they're not solely dependent on one person like they can be in basketball. Yeah, and there's also, I feel like, a level of separation between, like, a head football coach and a head basketball coach where it's easier for a football coach to look at the team as a team. Um, 
mm-hmm. when you have like all these position coaches under you and you also the players are literally wearing helmets out there so you don't see them where in mm-hmm. basketball there you got 15 kids on your bench like you see them you talk to them every day like you have a more personal relationship anyway my, my point is carolina had it's not uncommon for coach smith or coach williams to tell a player hey you're going to the league like michael jordan wanted to come back to carolina and dean smith was like no you're going to the nba <laughs> zion wanted to come back to duke and Kay said no you're going yeah and, and flip it on the other side 2008 when uh ty lawson and wayne ellington that group was like we want to go to the league and royal was like no you're not you're staying right here and you can't really do that in college basketball anymore again totally value no moral value placement there you just can't it's harder to do that now and i think that's one of the reasons that roy retired and so uh, one last thing too and i was going back lastly to huber's press conference that he wants the players to unpack their bags and uh, the thing about serving the place that they're at rather than that place serving them and so I think there is a potential that we've kind of at least delved into this a little bit in previous talks about recruiting and whatnot is maybe not going in after these five stars anymore, um, going after that 40 to 60 kind of range, because we've gotten Marcus Pages, Bryce Johnson's and such in that range before and turned out well. And someone has pointed out on Baylor's national championship team, I don't think they had anyone that was a top 50 player. They were all between like 50 and 100. And they look like an absolute squad because that's kind of that window of players that they have the skill and they have the talent and they have the capacity for development, but also where they're not necessarily going to go to the league. That's you interesting get some continuity. That you say that Matt, because I feel like that problem is almost going to work itself out for, for Carolina. I feel like it, as time goes on, you're seeing less of the, top 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 of every class go to the same four schools <laughs> like you don't because yeah, you can't you can't anymore be, for the same reason that if yeah you have four or five stars not every one of them is going to eat and not everyone's going to get the, mm-hmm. the exposure they need to go to the league there's that and there's also like kate cunningham did not have to go to kentucky to be like a lottery pick like ben simmons did not have to go to duke in order to be um in the top three of the draft like for some of these kids, it truly does not matter what they do between the senior year of high school and their first year in the NBA. They can do whatever they want. They can sit on their couch eating Doritos as far as they care, and they will still be a top five pick. So I, I think that as time goes on and as uh, as these players are not going to Carolina and going to Duke and going to Kentucky uh, – they are the talent is going to kind of spread out a little bit more in the great programs. I have a feeling are going to go back to being great programs again. Well, and also I think to that, to that point, having that G league option and now people going overseas, having that G league option. I mean, that's there for them. And if they really do want to just make that jump, there it is. They said they like, you know, it's there for them. Um, and, you know, there's something to be said about kids wanting to do the college thing and do the college experience. But, like, if they're really antsy, like, if you're going to get one of those kids that probably would have made the jump to the league if there was no one-and-done rule, then they do the G League thing or they do or they do the overseas thing. Like, you know, that, and maybe you do get more of those <clears throat> three, four-year players who develop into 
college basketball stars, but not necessarily NBA stars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so because you know, college basketball needs it. Did any of y'all do the 2K My Career this year? 2K21. I have not. I have. Not. I did. I did not buy 2K21. I have so, not either. So this year's campaign, you have the option coming out of high school to either go to college or go to the G League. I chose to go to college. I went to Villanova. Go Cats. Um, but then after your first year of college, they give you the option to come back for another year and do another year in college or go to the league. I feel like if they are able to get a full-fledged college basketball video game back, I sincerely believe we will see more kids staying longer because they will have more of a connection to college basketball. It's, listen, we are from, with the exception of Aaron, who's also from like a college sports area of the country, we care about college sports. Ohio State. People care about Ohio State. Okay, well, I, I, it's, uh, I just was confused by what you meant because Cleveland is a pro sports town. But okay, yes, go on. But people care. But people care about Ohio State and Cleveland. Yes, I feel like once there's no reason for kids, most of the place around the country, I truly mean like children here, to care about college sports. Um, but people did care when they had their franchise that they were taking Tulane to national championships that maybe they like watch a college football game now and then. And I think that once that court case ha- happened where they took away all of that stuff, we saw a significant decline in interest in college sports. So I wonder if we get like a college hoops sort of 2K24, if we get more people who wanted to go to college longer a good good little discussion <laughs> i dig it i think at this point I'm, I'm ready for to be able to move on i want to know where we stand and i just want to know where we should go from here i i, I think honestly I, I would be ecstatic and i'm going to lose my mind if we get Kessler back just because i think it's going to be an epic recruiting story but in that same vein it's going to be a heck of a feather in hubert davis's cap to start his very early coaching career if he's able to pull this off given mm-hmm. the fact that two weeks ago the door was firmly closed and the fact that uh, he has been able to got all the way back in and the Kessler family has listened to him throughout this whole process. And now to the point where there is some optimism that he might be coming back. I mean, I think that the fact that they were willing to take calls like this, and this was like way earlier in the week. It's like, okay, they're taking calls. They would not, if they were 100% uninterested, they would not be taking these calls. And this seems to have just been snowballing and snowballing um, until this moment we're in now where we're just in a waiting period. So, And there's a big difference between a courtesy call and like entertaining the, the, the conversation. You know, like Aaron could have easily picked up the phone and said, you know, yeah. we love you. We love Coach Roy. I know you're someone different, but we just need a new change of scenery. Click, you know, like, and that would have been fine. But the fact that it's still kind of been, like, to Colby's point, it's still kind of been snowballing. Everyone's kind of just like, is it happening? Is it going to happen? Are we going to get it back? <laughs> no, so now we're just kind of in this waiting game. Anything else with Carolina before we move on? Uh, oh, yeah, there's one championship. <laughs> But go ahead, Aaron. There's one more tiny ball center that I don't think that we brought up that I think is worth mentioning the name. 
please. Keyshawn Silver. So, yeah, back and put in his press conference, he is that Hubert told the players he's honoring any commitments that Roy made to him. So Keyshawn Silver said that he was going to play. Dontavius Nash said that he wanted to play. I think also even Des Evans had had a conversation about potentially paying. Keyshawn Silver six 6'5", and he just weighed in at 306. Yeah. I don't know. Because so, uh, the same thing happened with Julius is that he was actually really effective in the limited yeah. time he played. He went to a Final Four, for God's <laughs> sakes, and actually had a really good Final Four. But playing basketball, you are going to drop that weight quickly, and you're going to completely lose that edge on the football side, I think. So I do think that is something. I might. I think he waits maybe till not this year, but next year, to at least get himself under control, like with football wise. It also depends on how much weight he wants to carry and how much the the coaches want him to carry. Um, if he's able to carry like a healthy two. 40 to 45 and like still be able to move and still be able to be explosive you can make that work you can make it work i've seen it work before <laughs> yeah i don't know with but that linebacker shedding that 60 pounds and then putting it back on for the football season i'm just not sure because i think he i think it sounds like they might be moving him truly to, to, to nose tackle and you got to be a 300 pounder uh, yeah if, if he's playing nose tackle then yeah it's probably not possible if he was playing like edge or being a, a blitzing outside linebacker, then I think it would have been more possible. But it's still fun. I mean, we can say, too, I guess one last thing, Armando did officially announce that he's going to test the NBA waters. Um, yes, but, but I, I think, think that by his Twitter activity, it yeah. seems pretty clear that he is intending on returning. He, he gave Walker the good old hey, big head tweet. And he did the same um, thing to um, Justin McCoy. Justin McCoy, yes. Uh, he's he's not really listed. I don't think on anyone's big board of even top 100 recruits. I'd say it's a 95 percent chance that it's just like Justin Jackson. He's getting the feedback he needs um, to help him know what he needs to do the following season to get to the league. So, yeah, yeah. I feel pretty Absolutely. confident he's coming back. Shout out to Mondo for recruiting Walker Kessler yeah. on Twitter too. <laughs> getting that cap back on. Exactly. Get that boy in the in the office after after we. Yes. Know. After he's done with his basketball playing, we need to bring him back. Yeah, director of recruiting. <laughs> David, we have a new quarterback in Charlotte. <laughs> oh, I remember when this went down. It's been a good podcast, everybody. I'll see you. <laughs> I don't think it's as bad as y'all make it out to be. Listen, he was in the worst situation possible. Do I think that he's gonna be like? the next baker mayfield now but i think he's got potential to be serviceable where winning games at the end of a tank season fucks you up <laughs> this is where because you end up with sam darnold as your quarterback <laughs> give him a chance I, I think that the bigger problem there is atlanta sitting at four and there's there's no way atlanta's gonna trade with us to <laughs> trade that spot away for us to get our our forever quarterback I well, there are five quarterbacks, aren't there? Uh, but do we want them all? Yeah, I, I mean, know. do you want the fourth? I want the fourth, I don't want the fifth, I don't want Mac Jones. I'll take anyone but Mac Jones, <laughs> um, and watch him be the best of his bunch, um, because that's how quarterback evaluation goes. No, I, I, I've spent since he was in college, I have been kind of 
bullish. Is that the good one? Bullish on um on Darnold. I think that he I don't think he's ruined. He's my age, like he's young. I think there's room for growth there. Um, I wish that didn't have to take place in Charlotte. <laughs> I wish it was somewhere else that he could grow. He's my uh, age. He's not your age. He's your. Uh, he was born in June of ninety-seven. I thought he was twenty-four. Uh, okay. He's twenty. Uh, he's four months older than I am. Okay. He's somewhere like that. <laughs> Younger than me. Um. Anyway, I I think that. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Sam Darnold could be a good quarterback and maybe a good quarterback for us. Uh, I'd rather just have a sure thing. Or or some or someone with a rookie contract. To be fair to Sam Darnold, he he has the arm talent. Like he 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 can throw the ball far. And he's athletic. Wise, he's athletic. He can he can run sometimes. Like if he cannot make an improvement in Carolina. I don't know what you want. I'm not asking for a Super Bowl run, but if you if he's looking like Jet Sam Darnold, then there's a huge issue because he's got a great receiver he's already got rapport with in, in Robbie Anderson. You've got DJ Moore, who is a ridiculously good receiver. You've got Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, who is a, a Swiss Army knife of a running back. And you have, well, I almost said we have Curtis Samuel. We don't. Uh, right. <laughs> um, you know, there's talent on offense. You know, the offensive line needs some work, but it should be better than the one he had in freaking New York, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm just thinking, like, if he does well, I will be genuinely happy for him and I will root for him as our quarterback. But I am just, I am just skeptical is all. Well, and I, I think on top of, the talent on the field, like the, the off the field situation, the situation with the coaching staff and with the front office in Carolina is a million times better than the situation with the Jets, which I think you could say about any franchise being a million times better than the situation with the Jets. And I think that alone can make a big difference. Perhaps. We'll see. Uh I, I don't think that this precludes Carolina for if one of those four quarterbacks falls to the eighth spot. I think do you that, take a Trey Lance. Do you uh, take a, you know, Justin Fields? Uh, I'll take yeah. either of them. I mean, since he's not a good quarterback, apparently to some scouts, you know, recently, which is ridiculous, but whatever. I can't believe the Niners want Mac Jones. I can't. I can't. If they do that, Colby, I will die. It will be hilarious. I I just don't get it. Why does Kyle Shanahan want mediocre quarterbacks? Like he's he wanted Jimmy G. Like he he wanted Nick Mullins. He wants these people. I just I just think about Justin Fields in that offense or Zach Wilson in that offense, and it's like fireworks and i i just don't understand wanting to put mac jones who i still again could be a really good nfl quarterback i just think it's very hard to evaluate him because of how much he had at alabama he was in the perfect situation and he took advantage of it and played very well just know that i had a 
violent reaction when it got announced. I was so angry. <laughs> Not like I hit anything, but like I was just so pissed off at I didn't want to hear the name Matt Rule or or, or our owner whose name I'm forgetting right now. But uh, I just they just keep they keep doing things that irk me on the smaller levels and then it just kind of like I don't know. Like Matt Rule just kind of irks me a little bit. Like there's nothing that he has like done particularly but just the way he talks in press conferences sometimes just the things that he does i'm just like you bother me <laughs> like i don't know what it is he's a nerd <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you would have been as angry as i would have been had we drafted any quarterback other than baker mayfield <laughs> 